Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And weather, Father was tell us that it is going to be hotter and drier here in Ireland than it will be in the Costa Blanca in Spain this year. Temperatures could in some areas go as high as 25 degrees. Now the warmest days are going to be tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday with temperatures in the low 20s and as I say 25 degrees possible in some areas. Midlands and the west of the country is at the moment it's looking like being the warmest of uh, destinations but the good news is that it's going to continue into uh, next weekend which of course is the bank holiday weekend Met Aaron are saying no sign of rain certainly during the working week this week and in all likelihood it looks like it's going to be dry for the long uh, weekend but you know Met Aaron always being careful saying you can never rule out an odd uh, shower but the early indications are it's going to stay dry and it's going to stay warm and settled right into the bank holiday Day weekend and of course that comes with its own warnings then. Remember the sunscreen, we're going to have a very high UV index right across this week. Advice and warnings to take care if you're going into the water, if you're out in the sunshine, make sure you stay hydrated. Be careful if you're using an open flame, particularly outdoors because there is the elevated risk of forest fires at this time of the year. But just get out and enjoy it. But it's just the fact that it's going to stay there for the Bank Holiday weekend is great news. John Paul's taking your calls this morning at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Texts and WhatsApps are up and running as well at 086 103 103. And can I start by passing on my deepest, deepest sympathies to the family of little Ava Barry, who sadly passed away on uh, Friday. She passed away. It's reported that she was surrounded by her family. She had been in hospital following a recent uh, illness. And of course, we all got to know the name and the face of beautiful little Ava Barry because of her mother, Vera Toomey, who fought a lengthy campaign 
campaign to gain access to medicinal cannabis for uh, Ava. And of course, Ava suffered from uh, Trevet syndrome, which is a very rare form of epilepsy. And it caused her to have daily catastrophic uh, seizures. And her mum, Vera, knew that if she could get medicinal cannabis for her, it would help with the seizures. And it certainly did uh, help her to prevent some of those very, very severe epileptic seizures that she had had in the past. So I was really saddened uh, to hear of her passing on Friday. And as a quote from Vera, her mum, saying that Ava is at peace now. God help the family. It's just such a difficult, difficult uh, journey for them. And actually, I was looking on the paper in the examiner today. They've got some beautiful photographs of little Ava and photographs of her with her mum, Vera. And just gorgeous. What a beautiful little girl she was. And it's on the same page is another story and one actually that we've dealt with on the programme and it's the story of Michelle Ford and her little daughter Leah Ford who's just 10 and we spoke with Michelle who joined us to talk about the fact that uh, Leah hasn't been in school since last October. Now she suffers from a rare chromosome disorder which results which has resulted in severe developmental delay. She's not able to walk, she's not able to talk and she's fed this very special blended diet but she's fed using a tube into her stomach. Now she had been a pupil at St Paul's Special School in Montanati but because of this new special blended diet that she went on they need a nurse to administer her food and as a nurse wasn't available in the school it meant the school very reluctantly had to say to Leah's family, sorry, you can't come to school until we have a nurse who can administer the food. And then because Leah had been mis- had been out of school since last October, it was her mum, Michelle, then had to go public to highlight the case in the hope that somebody would do something and someone would arrange for a nurse to be at the school so that little Leah uh, could go to uh, school. And actually on the examiner today are writing uh, about it because that's where the story first got highlighted in uh, April. And I remember when we spoke with Michelle, you know, and I'm always conscious of parents having to come forward to tell their story. It isn't the easiest thing to do. Most families just want to get on quietly with their lives. They're struggling anyway as parents of special needs kids. They're struggling on a daily basis. But then to have to go public to fight for what you're entitled to and for what your child is entitled to, it just really, really annoys me that parents are pushed to that uh, length. So Michelle decided to go public to tell her story. And then that's led to all of us, any media outlet that she's con- contacted, us trying to contact to find out who is responsible for getting a nurse into the school so that Leah can attend school. And as as is outlined in the examiner today, the HSC, obviously the first port of call, they say, oh, please contact the Department of Health and, uh, Health and Education. The Department of Education say, oh, it's the HSC's role. The Department of Education also say, oh, that's a matter for the Department of Health. The Department of Health say, oh, that's the disability function. Where's the disability function? That's with the Department of Children, rather with the Department of Health. The Department of Children then apologise for the 
delay in replying, but they've put it back onto the HSC and they say, oh, sorry, we're waiting on information from the HSC so we can't comment. The Department of Children directed the school principal to apply for a pilot nursing school, nursing scheme. The principal, who's a fantastic principal at St. Paul's, applied and was refused. And then, of course, all of the departments and all of the ministerial spokespeople, when you go to them for a comment, will all say, oh, sorry, same standard. We can't comment on individual cases. And that leaves Leah's mum, Michelle, as frustrated as she ever was when she first went public, going, where do I go now? She literally has been pushed from pillar to post. And since we last spoke with Michelle, she said a baby boy. Congratulations on uh, the new arrival to the uh, family. But she's back out again now going public, saying, look, um, Leah now has missed well over 100 days at uh, school. And because she's missing out on school, I mean, she's missing out on all of the things like contact with her other classmates, all of the things that would be going on in school and everything that would be stimulating uh, Leah and missing out on, you know, the beautiful weather that we have at the moment. Lots of schools will be going on outings, and especially the special needs schools. They'll be doing lots of things for the children, you know, while the weather is good. And she's missing out on all of uh, that. So Michelle Ford's fight continues on behalf of uh, her little daughter, Leah. And you just think when you read that story and when you look at little Ava and her happy, smiling face on the same page, just think, when are we going to stop pushing parents to have to fight and go public and share all of the details of what's happening in their family just for what their children needs, but more importantly, what their children are entitled to. When are we going to move from that type of battle constantly going on. Just a couple of texts in. Dave says, Patricia, condolences to the Toomey family on the sad, sad passing of little Ava. But isn't it disgusting how hard the fam... How, isn't it disgusting how hard the government seemed to resist so many families? And they'll on one hand say, oh, it's all too costly and we can't afford this and we can't afford that. And then on the other hand, they are resisting the collect collection of the Apple taxes priorities says uh, Dave and someone else says Patricia when you're reading out what has happened to uh, little Leah Ford and her mum and you know trying to find out what department is responsible for the allocation of this nurse to the school so that little Leah can go to school as somebody says you know what Trish that's called passing the buck 086 103 103 can I say hi to everyone that I met at the Cork County Mayor's Charity Dinner that was held at the West Lodge Hotel last Saturday night on what was a glorious evening weather wise it was so lovely to be out uh, sipping drinks at the drinks reception out in the sunshine it really was lovely so my thanks to to Mayor Danny Collins for inviting me along to be a part of the evening. It was such a fun event and I met so many people that I've interviewed over the years and it was great to catch up with a lot of the councillors that were there as well. But of course, the one, it's, you know, it's, it's a great night out and it's a great celebration because it's always held at the end of the year. Danny Collins coming to the end of his year as mayor. So it's kind of a celebration of all the work that has gone on uh, by the mayor. But of course, there are also charity events and there was two terrific charities benefiting from uh, Friday night. Cancer Connect, what an organisation Cancer Connect are. And also the Bandon Hyperbaric Oxygen Centre. And the Bandon Hyperbaric Oxygen Centre, which is uh, another uh, wonderful uh, charity, is one of those 
organisations that you don't know about it until you need to use it and they're doing fantastic work and they kind of do it quietly and uh, p- anyone who has attended the Hyperbaric Oxygen Centre will tell you what a wonderful facility it is and how fantastic and how lucky we are uh, to have an oxygen centre like this in Bandon so continued good luck to them and a shout out to all of the volunteers who work with Cancer Connect to Cancer Connect and again Cancer Connect is kind of a charity until cancer arrives on your doorstep you might not be aware of the wonderful work they do. They're volunteer drivers and they pick people up from their door, bring them into Cork City. Maybe it's for radiotherapy, maybe it's for chemotherapy or any cancer related doctor's appointment that they will have. And it takes the stress and the strain for a cancer patient of having to have somebody to drive them up and then wait around to bring them home afterwards. It's fantastic uh, charity. So they were the main beneficiaries from the Cork County Mayor's uh, charity uh, dinner. And a huge, huge well done to everybody at the West Lodge Hotel because it was just a stunning meal. The room looked exquisite. It really was uh, fantastic. And I particularly want to give a shout out to Tom Coffey who uh, has been the restaurant manager at the West Lodge for the last 38 years and Saturday night the Mayor's Charity Dinner was his last official function and he has now officially uh, retired and he ran the dinner like a well-oiled machine but what I loved about and he got a big cheer because he was retiring but what I loved was when I was talking to various members of staff every single one of them was saying how much they were going to miss Tom on his retirement but I know he's looking forward uh, to retiring uh, and I met his lovely wife as well so have a happy happy retirement Tom and it was a great pleasure to meet you at the weekend we're always trying to keep people up to date with scams particularly if there's new types of scams around and we're constantly warning people about the dangers of engaging with unsolicited callers to your home be it over the phone or calling in person to your front door Joe in Kilmallock uh, joins me this morning to highlight something that happened to him uh, recently good morning to you Joe Good morning, Patricia. You're you're welcome to the program. Thank pro- you very much. Thank N- you. Now, knock on your door. What time of the day are we talking it, it, about? It was it was about quarter past two on the Tuesday. Two fifteen. So middle 2:15. of the day. Yes, you, right. You weren't, and, uh, it, you weren't expecting anyone. Knock on the door, and you no, you open the door. What's in front uh, of you? Uh, I would doubt it. Man walked straight in. Walked straight into my sitting room. It, uh, he had a mat in his hand. He took away the old one and turned it out. He took it out and put it into the van. And as as he was going out, my wife was given a lovely press some years ago. It's a small and antique. He pulled out all the drawers and wanted, no, we sell that. I can sell that for you. And yeah, he was very, very pushy. And But hang on now. You open the front door and he walks straight in. He walks straight in and he, 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 he raises up his hand and the other fellow jumps out of the van and the other fellow sits inside and uh, bowed his brass inside my sitting room. Oh, my God. And, okay, the, so they took out, you had a mat in the sitting room? I had an old mat in the sitting room, and he thrown down a new one, and he says, I want 150 euros for those two mats. They're, now they're only worth about 30. And did you want a new mat? Well, I could have done it one. But the thing is, I had no choice. He was telling me what to do. And... Uh, Anyway, he was going out the door, and um, I said, I'll take the one off you. But, of course, when I looked around, I had some money in my, in my hand. So he grabbed the 50, the 20, and the tenner. So he walked away with 80 euros. For a mash that you, re- you reckon is worth 30? Well, well, to be worth about 30. 
then he moved then he moved my press in the hall as well he said um, uh, that, that's worked a few Bob he says I said and at that stage I told him get outside the door and is the press worse is it an antique it is it, it is, is. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it, is it is an antique there's four drawers on both sides it's a lovely uh, writing desk and this guy knows his antiques, obviously. He knows his he, work. He knows yeah. his antiques. And the thing is, that other fella, the first fella was around a number of years ago. And he saw that press. And the other fella that was never around, he knew the press was in the hall because the other fella had it tipped off. Did you report it to the guards? Well, there's no point. Well, as somebody said to me, there's no point to report it to the guards because certain people never face justice. And I suppose what are you reporting is... is, is the, uh, exactly, uh, what I'm reporting. But the thing is... I take it you, the the 80 euro, you were just glad to see the back of them, were you? I was glad to see the back of them. I was glad to see the back. He looked up then, I have a Titanic uh, overhead, the, the fireplace, he caught that, he lifted it up. That's nice and heavy. He said, that, that, that's what a few bob as well. And I said, you better put that down now. He, he was looking at everything up in the wall. He was looking around. The second fellow. And they're driving a small white van. Regist- did you get a registration number? No, no it's 15-1 no. anyway, that's all I got, 15-1. But they're somewhere around, they're around, the, they're around the county again. No sign on the van or anything? No, 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 no sign, no. no sign, no. No, okay, so you're, it's a word of warning uh, to people. I sp- the word of warning now is don't open the door unless you know who's... Sta- who, who's- well, what I'm saying to the older people that we should have these security chains on the doors. Yeah. And uh, don't be running to the door again. I did. Now, and it's not like me. I usually look out the window and see who's out. But they're, they're two dangerous boys. But like two, not, yeah, two fifteen in the day, she would be, be. I mean, I'd throw open the door at quarter past two in the day. Now, if it was quarter past ten at night, I mightn't. But you know, yeah. quarter past two in the day, you're you're not. But we all need to be really careful. Either have one of those spy glasses in the door so you can see, That's right. That's or right. the chain. The chain is a good one. Do you have a chain? I, I'm getting one now. Get one, my, do, my, do. my son is putting a chain on for me. Yeah. And uh, But the thing is, what I'm saying is that these are dangerous boys. They're intimidating. They're, they're, they're intimidating. And one fellow's talking, the other fellow's sitting, and he hands up in the, in the in the city, and he's looking up, and I was saying, uh, saying bridges cross up in the wall, and he he's like, he, he took it down, looked at it, I said, you better put that back up. A St. Bridget's Cross? A St. Bridget's Cross. It's, uh, it's made out of steel. Oh, oh, it's a good one. It's a good one, yeah. It was, it was made by a man up the country. Okay, so they're they're back out and, and they yes, travel. Yeah. They, I mean, you're in Kilmallock. They could be down in Bantry or Blarney today. They, they, could be, they, they move they around. They could be anywhere. They, 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 they move around. But I'm just wondering if there's any elderly people out there that being annoyed by those, by those two men selling mats. Yeah. You know, um, and there's no point there's no point in talking to the guards. Because as a guard said to me years ago, if they go to court he says their fines will be paid by, by the state. But it's the it's the, the intimidation and the cheekiness. And if God forbid you had had two hundred euro in your hand, they probably would have taken the two hundred euro and be oh, gone yeah. out the door. They, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have gone out without it. Yeah. Okay, okay, cautionary tale. Um, cautionary and, and yeah. are you okay? Did 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 it did it did, did, did it frighten you a little bit? Well, I, I, afterwards I felt, you know, I sat down after I just thought about it, you know, they, they, one of them could have, they could have beat me up. I know, I know. But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't. They didn't, okay. they didn't. All but right, I, all okay, I get... to the, the elder people, please watch out. Don't, just don't run and open the door, get chains on or get these five things that you said on the doors. 
but uh, the, these guys are back they're back out again. And be slow to open the door because they'll push in and they'll be in on top of you before you know it. They will. Yeah. They will. They're a dangerous lot. Okay, listen, enjoy yeah. the fine weather, Joe, thank and, th- you and thank you for sharing the, yeah. the story with us. Good Long morning, Jim. Thank you. Bye-bye. Th- bye-bye. 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 Uh, somebody says, God, that's some, it's like something that you'd hear or see in a comedy, uh, except it's not. It's very serious. How awful for that to happen. Uh, you should never open the door, says this texture. Look out the window before you go out. Get a spy, a glass. We all need to do that. Are the chains, is it good security chain, is what Joe is now getting installed on his door. But it's a white van, those two guys are driving. As I say, they were in the Kilmallock area last Tuesday with Joe, but they could be anywhere today. Following an alarming surge in complaints over cruelty to animals in the past two years, a call has been made for Ireland to urgently follow the Scandinavian example of tightening controls on dog breeding and enforcing tougher animal welfare penalties. And that's come from some of the leading animal charities in this country. Cathy Griffin is Head of Welfare at the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll. And Cathy joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Cathy. Good morning, Patricia. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, there has been a number of cases involving cruelty and neglect to animals. And your own sanctuary was involved in a Galway rescue recently that got a lot of publicity. Just remind us about that particular case. Sure. So in February, we received a call from a concerned member of the public about a large group of donkeys uh, on land in, in County Galway. Our welfare advisor went to assess the situation could see straight away that it was a particularly bad case of neglect and we referred it to the Department of Agriculture. So their veterinary inspector came out, um, took some expert advice from our donkey welfare advisor and we had a vet come in to assess the animals. Um, there was significant amount of neglect. These donkeys had been left to fend for themselves for likely years without any care. So their hooves were extremely overgrown, they were underweight, they had been breeding um, and it was a a small group of donkeys originally so there was inbreeding that happened as well and we had 19 donkeys on site. Uh, Four of them were so um, badly neglected that under veterinary assessment we had to make that really tough decision to end their suffering on site, it was so bad. Uh, We then took four heavily pregnant mares and their foals from the previous year to our sanctuary, which brought us up to our complete capacity. We we are we just cannot find space for more donkeys after these seven that came in from Galway. Um, and eight donkeys were then left on site with no options, uh, no owner to take responsibility for them, and and facing a very uncertain future. So our team worked extremely hard to look for private homes for these donkeys, and these were young, unhandled donkeys that needed somebody with experience to take them on and it, it was a big ask but and it took us about four five weeks to find the homes but we eventually did and thankfully all eight of those donkeys have now secured good homes Wow God. you just you do the most amazing work and the ones that came into you at the sanctuary Cathy how are they getting on? They're still not out of the woods I no, mean they're obviously not. they're in in a much better place now and they're they're under the care of our excellent veterinary team so they, they couldn't be in better hands at the moment but the damage that were was done to these donkeys through neglect particularly with their with their hooves they, they were suffering from laminitis which is a extremely painful condition and it does result in in chronic changes to the bone structure in the feet so two of the mares in particular have very significant changes and the fact that they're heavily pregnant means it's putting much more stress on their systems too so we're just 
trying to nurse them through these difficult stages. And one of the foals, technically a yearling now, uh, was in very poor condition. Um, we did find the decomposed remains of one donkey on the land, um, just the skeletal remains. And we think that it may have been the mother of this foal. Um, but also it's likely that this foal has been suffering from um, health uh, health conditions resulting from inbreeding. So he has a, a heart murmur and he's significantly underweight and he's very slow to put on weight despite the excellent care he's getting. So we have a very guarded prognosis for him, but we're trying very, very hard to save them. But we're not just out of the woods yet with them. Oh, it's, it, it, it really is heartbreaking. And we know from... Uh, the one thing we know about donkeys, they're very stoic, aren't they? They don't, yeah. they, they press on through pain, God love them. Absolutely. I think they're in, in ways they're their own worst enemy. They don't let you know that something's wrong until it's really wrong. And when you see donkeys with, with very overgrown feet, sometimes even when, when you try to get to assess them with, with a vet or a farrier, the donkeys can, you know, run away even. And that's just the adrenaline um, because they're prey animals and, Everything in their genetic makeup is is trying to cover up the fact that they're in pain, so that a predator doesn't realise and and try to to um, to injure them or kill them. So it's in their nature to cover up that something's wrong. But when you get those donkeys into a situation where they start to relax and trust you, then you start to see how much pain they're in. You can see them weight shifting. You can see notice that they're lying down much more than a healthy donkey would do. Um, and often when all four feet are, are very overgrown and, and distorted the way these donkeys are, they just have this sort of strange, stiff, shuffling gait where they don't want to put foot, weight on any foot because all four feet are sore. Uh, it's just agony. It's just because and, and I've yeah. seen some of your photographs over the years. I mean, just uh, truly, truly shocking on what are gorgeous creatures. And do they do they sense when they're being helped? Do, do, is it easy to build up trust with them? They're, they're very sensitive animals and the key to donkeys is just to slow everything down for them to their speed. They like to they like to think things through before they do, do things and if you allow them time to do that, it takes a bit of time at the start but if you give them that time and you keep everything nice and calm and relaxed around them and try to give, you know, make sure every experience is as positive for them as they can be, then they do start to quickly learn and, and the time gets less and less that they take to relax and, and allow you in. But obviously... You know, the, the longer they've been neglected and, and abused, the harder it is to rebuild trust. But you, they absolutely do. They're very forgiving. And when we hear of these shocking cases of animal cruelty or animal neglect, Cathy, do many people end up in court and face any, uh, you'd love to think tough penalties, but any penalties? Sadly not, Patricia. Um, I mean, we we certainly take the approach at the Donkey Sanctuary that we want to help people and we want to offer advice and support. And that's always our first step when we go to a case is to try to locate the owner or the keeper of the donkeys and talk to them and explain. And very often the neglect occurs because people don't realise how specific the needs are for donkeys. They're not they're not designed to live in Ireland. They're a desert animal, so they need very specific types of care. And they're almost more like an exotic animal when it comes to their care than they are say for a sheep or a goat or a, or a horse but like a native Connemara pony for instance so often when people keep them in the same way you'd keep say a Connemara pony you're going to get problems with donkeys but people don't realise that and then when you throw in the donkey stoic nature people might notice that the animal is in pain so it's trying to help them to see that and very often when you do people then 
change how they're managing the donkeys so things get better for the donkeys. But in cases where we go, like like this case, for instance, where it was so extreme that there was a dead animal on site and four that has to be euthanized on site immediately. And if the people are capable of looking after the animals and just haven't done it, you know, they have the resources to do it and they haven't asked for help or they resist help when it's offered, and they need to be held accountable, absolutely. Um, and I think that it's a two-pronged approach, really. You need to help the people who are willing to be helped and who just need, perhaps, to to learn about donkeys and how to care for them properly. And then you've got the people who know better but won't do better, and, and they're the ones that need to be held accountable, certainly. 100%. Uh, 100%. And talk to me about the the donkey population in this country. Is it an issue, and is there a solution to tackle it? Well, certainly we feel like it's an issue because we're seeing a large amount of donkeys um, that have nowhere to go. Um, all of the equine charities in Ireland that take in donkeys, um, obviously we're, one, we're the one that specifically takes in donkeys, but other equine charities will take them in, or for instance the ISPCA, um, they're full to capacity and they don't have space to take in any more donkeys. Um, and every every animal charity, whether it's donkeys or horses or dogs or cats, they're all full. There's an animal welfare crisis in the country without a doubt, and not just donkeys. Um, but absolutely there's an overpopulation of donkeys. We have a waiting list of about 150 donkeys and that traditionally when we had space would have come into the sanctuary and now we don't have space so we need to try and help people find different solutions for those donkeys and those are just the ones that people have voluntarily asked for our help with their donkeys these don't include the welfare concerns that we attend and unfortunately it's very rarely just two donkeys we see it's usually multiple donkeys because people have just allowed them to breed and there really isn't an outlet for those donkeys and donkeys can live like those foals that we've taken in could live for another 40 years in our charity and it's a huge commitment and I think it's something that people don't think of um, when you think about a dog living for maybe 12 or 13 years and a donkey can live for 30 to 40 years it's a huge commitment to take on How many do you currently have now with and I know you're at full capacity what is that number? We have we just shy of 1200 donkeys and as you say, and because you look after them so well, you're going to be full for a long, long time to come unless you can find homes for some of the donkeys. Absolutely. And and even with the homes, we some of our donkeys are out in, in our guardian homes. They still remain the property of the donkey sanctuary so that we can ensure there's that safety net there because they're such long living donkeys and have such specific needs. And often people will take on our donkeys into guardian homes knowing that they have that option there that you know when they're no longer able to look after the donkeys they come back to us so it it can work well both ways um but really it's about tackling that problem at grassroots levels of reducing the number of donkeys that need homes in the first place and whether that's through education and helping people to care for the donkeys and take responsibility for their animals to castrate their stallions and their young colts. I mean, they can reach out to us. We can certainly help with that. Think twice before breeding a foal that may end up going on to another place where there's poorer welfare for that animal or becoming an animal that's bred from to just produce more donkeys to be neglected. Um, and, And just think about that. Reach out to us first before you do that. Okay, and in the meantime, your the the donkey sanctuary. We're, I was just talking about what the fantastic weather we're going to have uh, this week. I, I imagine it will make the donkey sanctuary busier when the weather yeah, is fine. Absolutely, and and it's great to see people 
coming into us as well into the into the open farm. It's always lovely to have visitors come in and see how we keep our donkeys and meet the donkeys there. Lots of people who have have done the adop- the virtual adoption of our donkeys will come in and meet their donkeys at this time of the year, which is really nice to see that and, and greatly appreciated. Um, but it's certainly a busy time for our welfare advisors too because we'll have tourist season is starting, so you'll have people driving to more remote areas of the country, particularly along the wild Atlantic Way, where there are the majority of the donkey population in Ireland seems to be on that west coast, so Mayo, Galway, Cork, Kerry, Clare, those counties are our busiest counties, and that's we'll start to get the phone calls um, about donkeys with long hooves, uh, donkeys with no shelter, donkeys with, with skin conditions, etc., and you encourage people to call you, Cathy, if, if you if you spot anything. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, you know, if, if people see something they're worried about, even if you're not sure, just give us a call. And when we're in the area, we'll check it out. Um, if we can reach out to an owner and help that owner, we will. And if not, if we need to escalate it, we'll, inc- we'll involve then one of the authorised agencies like the Department of Agriculture or ISPCA or even the guards if necessary, if it's very urgent. But definitely I would, would encourage people to reach out to us for even if they want to just talk about something they've seen to see if it's something to be worried about. We'd be more than happy to do that. OK, you do incredible work. Long may continue. Uh, Cathy, in the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cathy. Griffin, head of welfare at the Donkey Sanctuary in uh, Liscarroll, but it's it's just you know shocking to think that we've seen this huge increase in animal cruelty cases. I know you know you, you'll see many of them feature on the newspaper. I'm really bad. I whenever I just see the headline, I can't read the detail of a lot of them. There's been some horrific ones with uh, dogs in the most you know found in the most appalling conditions. Um, I know there was a one there was one out of Kerry of a pony that was rescued and he was in an upstairs building and then there was 27 dogs were found in appalling conditions in Tipperary most of them suffering from parasite uh, disease and they were all chained up to a tree or many of them were locked in uh, metal cages it's just the list of cruelty cases goes on and on but we'll see a handful end up before the courts and more and more needs to be done and that's why a number of people particularly when it comes to dogs are looking at this Swedish uh, approach to a pet ownership where you you can't just own a dog you've got to apply you've got to have a special assessment before you're allowed to own a dog and it certainly has worked in uh, Sweden uh, because they don't see any abandoned animals and they actually in Sweden don't have any animal rescues because they don't need to have them because people look after they take on the responsibility of a pet they look after that pet for uh, life. We are a long, long way from that in this country for sure. 0818 103 103. This is our second and final week of our Rod Stewart competition where at the end of this week we will be finding out the name of the listener who will be going to see Rod Stewart not once but twice. The first gig will be the one live at the Marquee. That's on the 21st of June. And then exactly a month later, it'll be July the 21st. You'll be going to see Rod Stewart when he performs live in concert in Marbella. Now, we need to get you to Marbella. So we've got some flights for you. We've got a four night stay in a four star luxury hotel in Marbella. There is drink and our dinner and drinks in a top restaurant. We're also going to give you some spending money. You're bound to want to spend 
Splash the Cash in Marbella and obviously we're giving you the tickets to get you into the marquee and also to get you to the concert in Marbella. What are you listening for? You're listening for any one of the many, many great hits by Rod Stewart. Only thing I will tell you is I will play it sometime between now and one o'clock. As soon as you start to hear the Rod Stewart song, you need to text or WhatsApp 0862103103 for your chance to win a place to the grand final. And the grand final will be taking place on Friday afternoon after three o'clock. Great way to kick off the bank holiday weekend if you'll be winning those tickets. And I'm really hoping and praying that we get genuine Rod Stewart fans who will really get a great buzz about going to see him uh, twice. So you're listening out at some stage between now and one o'clock. Soon as you hear the Rod Stewart uh, track, we need you to text your name and address to 0862 103 103 and you could be planning on seeing Rod Stewart twice only on C103. Anne says, Patricia, it's disgraceful the way some farmers treat their donkeys. The government should not allow these farmers to claim headage for them because they start breeding them and then the donkeys can't stay out in the winter or in the rain. Yeah, actually listening to Cathy, I didn't realise, of course, when you think about how the donkeys end up uh, in Ireland, but they're they're used to a much warmer uh, climate and so they're not used to the wet and the rain and they do need to have uh, some shelter. But as Cathy said, if if you're travelling, particularly if you're out and about during the summer months and you, and you come across an, a, a donkey that you think is in uh, distress, make contact with the anim, with the donkey sanctuary because they'll send somebody out uh, to take a look. And, you know, even if it turns out that it's not, the donkey is uh, fine, uh, they'll uh, they'll still go and check or get somebody locally to go and uh, check and we tr- tr- just try to end the suffering because there's so much suffering with some of these animals, which just is it's just horrible. Absolutely horrible. Uh, my Hi Patricia, what a cracking game of hurling yesterday. It was a real heart stopper. Cork was robbed, says uh, Michael. That penalty should never have been given. Neither, says Michael, the free from the pick of the ground as that ball did hop. Do others agree with Michael? The ref, Michael, believes has some questions to answer after yesterday's match. But Michael says he was delighted for Waterford and Davy Fitzgerald on his success, even at the cost of Tipperary. Hurling, you can't beat it for sport. You can't beat it for speed, skill and excitement, says Michael. Yeah, there is nothing like a good game of hurling uh, for sure. And, you know, I was glad uh, for Davy Fitz because he'd only joined us on the programme on Friday and at the tail end of my conversation we were talking about the fact that he's coming to Kildallery on the 1st of July to do his version of Fish's Family. It's Cork's Fishest Superstars is what that's going to be a fun day out and if they get fine weather for it it'll be really really brilliant even though we've watched Ireland's Fishes Family in the pouring rain nothing the weather won't stop that day going ahead but if it's a fine day it'll certainly be better for particularly whatever for the contestants but also for the people who will be turning out to watch but at the end of my chat with Davy on Friday I got a flurry of texts in from people asking Davy could he make sure that his Waterford team could he make sure that they'd bait Tipperary at the weekend for Cork's sake? Now, it didn't matter. They got the they got the win, but unfortunately, Waterford got the win, but unfortunately, Cork, uh, as Michael says, was robbed uh, yesterday. But 
the two great ge- games of hurling and I suppose that's what it's all about thank you for that Michael 0818 103 103 John Paul taking calls and actually Jerry was on to say he's just back he was overseas uh, last week and he obviously had gone to, he'd, his flight took him out of Dublin so he'd gone through the toll now he said he did pay his e-flow he paid it by cash lo and behold he just got back and he got one of those texts to say that he had an outstanding uh, toll and he said for a sec he was thinking God, maybe, maybe there's another one that I didn't see or that I didn't pay or whatever so he clicked on the link now he very quickly realised it was a scam but he said that they just to let people know that those e-flow scams are still doing the rounds and they're still doing the rounds and I think during the summer months Jerry, like yourself were people going away where they're on tolled roads that they're not used to being on we could have people getting sucked in and uh, duped so be very very careful of a text like that that you receive thank you for that Jerry. let me go to some of your uh, commentary uh, coming into the programme okay some of your texts uh, coming in let me see okay we were talking about scams Um, Ellen was on to say that she received two notifications to say that she needs to pay an extra $6. This is for an ESTA. You know, if you travel to the States, you have to apply for a visa in advance. At one stage when they brought in the ESTA uh, visas, they were uh, free of charge, but now there, there is a charge on them. Anyway, she uh, got this email. And of course, because of all the scams that are doing the rounds at the moment, she said she checked because she had applied for an ESTA last year and then applying for another one uh, this year but she's checked and she, from what she can see online everything is in order so she's taken the emails to be scams but now she's wondering is it a scam or not and that's the problem because you're fearful then if it is something genuine and you're missing out on it assuming it is a, a scam so has anybody else recently applied to go to the States filled in all the forms for your ESTA I know the charge for the ESTA is $21 so I don't know what you've paid to date Ellen what I would suggest doing because obviously you don't need to rock up to the airport to discover there's something wrong with your visa. Maybe put a call or send an email in to the American Embassy in Dublin and maybe put a copy of the email that you've received and they certainly will be able to tell you for sure if it's a scam or not. But in the meantime, we'll put it out there. Is anybody else applying for a visa to the States? Did you get a follow-up email saying that you, you they were looking for an extra $6? 0818-103-103. Jim says, fair play to Davy Fitz for keeping the promise that he made on your programme last Friday, says Jim by beating tip and then Jim puts in brackets sorry Patricia and Cork can feel aggrieved at some of the decisions that that referee made like the penalty and the free from the pickup off the ground that wasn't but was influenced by Jim Fields the Limerick fans and a draw would have knocked out tip and put Cork into a Munster final so you'd be happy at least Patricia says uh, Jim and you're not the only one to be questioning the ref we had a caller in earlier about it as well 0818 103. Uh, Hi Patricia, would you please highlight the partial return of excise duty on fuel from the 1st of June and remember the 1st of June is this uh, Thursday. Petrol will increase by 6 cent and diesel will be going up by 5 cent. 
this is a different Jim to the other Jim who was commenting on the hurling, says the government are awash with money right now and inflation needs to be reduced a lot further before these increases can be applied. It's a pity that they're not so quick to apply a windfall tax on energy companies, but they're quick to hand back the increases uh, to the good folk of Ireland, uh, says Jim. And Jimmy is right, he does come in on the 1st of uh, June. And of course, there was measures, they were introduced by the Minister for Finance. Some stage last year, there was a cut of 20 cent per litre came off petrol and 15 cent a litre came off uh, diesel. And of course, that was all to do with the cost of living. And at the time, petrol and diesel were running at well over two cent a litre and we were all delighted to see the bit of uh, a cut. Now it has come down since then, outside of the cut, it has come down. It's around the one. 50, 160 mark. It depends on where, where you're buying it. Uh, petrol is around, kind of hovering around the mid mid 155, 156 and uh, diesel is about 10 cent uh, cheaper and it's reversed the way it used to be. So it will mean from this from the, from this Thursday, the they're slowly now starting to put back on that 20 cent on petrol and 15 cent on diesel and they're doing it gradually. So petrol will go up by 6 cent and diesel will go up by 5 cent uh, from the 1st of June. Now, not all garages will put it up uh, immediately. I know I was reading a piece from Kevin McCartland and he represents uh, Fuels for Ireland and they represent all of the major uh, fuel retailers and he was making the point that there's been a long lead in. Like we've known that it's going to be going back up from the 1st of June and so has garage so he's reckoning that a lot of petrol stations will have stocked up well in advance so that they won't have to put the increase in straight away from the first. Now he's he's saying not all garages would have done done that, but he's hoping that a lot of garages will be stocking up this week while the excise duty is lower and then there will be, you know, it depends on how quickly they sell their petrol and diesel, but there should be a slower lead in. But only time will tell. Will all of the garages instantly put it up on Thursday? But you're right, from the 1st of June, an extra six cent on on petrol and five cent on diesel. And a lot of people will say they really can't afford any more increases. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your call. C103 Jobs. Ward personnel, they've got vacancies for all types of machine operators and drivers. Call 021-233-9120. Customer support agents, they're wanted to work in Blackpool. Email a CV, please, to human resources at army, A-R-E-M-A, connect.com. Drivers are required for Dermot Casey plant hire. Now, a C1 licence is essential. Email jobs at dermotcasey.com. And electricians are required to carry out first and second fixed works on domestic and commercial projects. You need to have your own transport, safe pass and manual uh, handling. Email info at premierelec.ie. You'll find all the details and much more job, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, hemochromatosis is a word that many people only come across when they're diagnosed with the condition. And unfortunately, many Irish people could have hemochromatosis and are simply not aware of it. World Hemochromatosis. World Hemochromatosis Week runs from the 1st to the 7th of June and to share his story of living with the condition I'm joined by a Jim Jackman. Good morning to you Jim. Good morning Patricia. How, how are you? I have difficulties pronouncing it as well. <laughs> <laughs> now I suppose when and how did you discover you had hemochromatosis? Uh, it was a, a rather strange one. I've had, over the last 20 years, I've had a lot of different conditions. I was diagnosed about 10 years ago with rheumatoid arthritis. So the doctors are keeping an eye on me. I'm now 66 years of age. But about six years ago, my GP noticed that my uh, ferritin levels or my iron levels were very high. So he said, we better look a bit, look a bit further into that. So anyway, uh, he basically sent off a few blood tests and next thing I discover, I have hemochromatosis. Had you heard of the word or the condition before? I I actually started, it was, uh, uh, I didn't really know, to be honest with you. I, I, um, I had heard my cousins mention some funny word like hemochromatosis, but I didn't really take it in. So obviously it was in the family, but uh, I, 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 I wasn't, I, it wasn't fully on my radar. And do you believe the other health problems you were having? Do you think they were all linked to the hemochromatosis? Yeah, well, not being a doctor, I, I couldn't honestly say that. I would think maybe some of the uh, stiffness I have uh, would account for some of it. And I was diagnosed about 20 years ago with a thing called pseudo-gout. pseudo-gout. It's a very rare thing, but uh, it's probably no harm if you're diagnosed with pseudo-gout just to keep an eye and maybe get checked out for hemochromatosis. Now, we know that hemochromatosis is an hereditary condition. Did you then go to your other family members to say, look, you all need to go off and get checked? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, I was quite shocked when I discovered I had it, probably a small bit of denial. But uh, it, it shocked me to the core. And then uh, to talk about, think about family members, I started thinking about my own dad. And my own dad, uh, who was 58 years of age when he passed away. And when I thought back on it, uh, I said, oh my God, that's what he actually died from. And he died back in 1982. And his own father, who died in 1950, 50, uh, also, I reckon, had hemochromatosis as well. So uh, I obviously started telling all my siblings, uh, listen, you better get tested. And I also got into my first cousins, second cousins, and I'm actually on Ancestry, and I started, well, yeah. connected, <laughs> I started well connecting with people there. And did, did many come back with having the condition? Well, extraordinary enough, I have two brothers, sorry, I have two brothers and a sister. Two brothers were okay. They were carriers. They, they carried the gene, the faulty gene. But my sister uh, got checked out. She lives in Wexford, and uh, she got checked out, and her high levels were very high. They were actually higher than my mine and it sort of explained a lot for her because she was very tired and uh, um, she, she wasn't feeling that well so she, she got treated because of it like you know So well done and that was because you reached out to the family to say uh, you need to ch- you need to get it checked um, and Ireland Jim we have a very high number of people living with the condition Well it's I find uh, now knowing I have it I find it extraordinary 
basically, um, one is by every fifth person in Ireland is a carrier of the faulty gene, which is uh, hemochromatosis. And every 83rd person that walks into a doctor's surgery more than likely has hemochromatosis. And the best way to look at that is, if you can imagine Crow Park on All-Ireland on all Sunday, and it's full to capacity with nearly almost 83,000 people in it. At least 1,000 people in Crow Park that day will have hemochromatosis and they will not know about it. And that's very sad. And being a carrier of the faulty gene, you need to be aware of that because if you then marry somebody or get into a relationship with somebody who also is a carrier of the faulty gene, then your children will more than likely have hemochromatosis. Well, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, my wife Mary's brought, she's from Drumina in North Cork, not too far from Mallow there. And um, she, she got checked, I got her to get checked out as well. And she was a carrier. And lo and behold, I have three children and one of them is has hemochromatosis. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she's 34 years of age now. She's not, uh, she doesn't have any main, major symptoms, but... Uh, She's keeping an eye on it. Well, at least she, she has an awareness now and she she can keep getting checked. I, I was talking to a, do- a doctor once who was saying it was known as the Celtic curse because it is something that, uh, and overseas doctors, when they arrive in Ireland, they have to learn about hemochromatosis. I know I was speaking to a doctor who trained in South Africa and he said, I'd never heard of the word, he said, until I came to Ireland. And he said every second patient coming into his GP practice, he says, suddenly has uh, hemochromatosis. So when you finally got diagnosed, what was the treatment? that you received um well the first thing uh, the first thing was my my third my a normal third level or iron level in the blood is something like between 50 and 200 now my third level were about 1400 uh, and my sister was about 1500 so straight away it's 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 a, it's a very easy uh, condition to treat once you know know you have it so basically you do a thing called venous section or you donate blood or you give blood and uh, you have to do that for about six months. I have to do it for about six months every week or every second week to get to my... Because the iron is travelling around the body in the blood. So by uh, donating blood or dumping blood, as I call it, you're actually lowering your, your, your ferritin levels in your body. So you got it down from 1,400 to what before you... Uh, uh, it's, it's around 250 or 300 now. That's, that's grand. Like, like It's funny, the hospitals around Ireland, they all have sort of different... Different, uh, different levels. Connolly Hospital is the one I go to here in Blanchardstown. And they, uh, they, uh, once it's below 300, they're happy with you. Mm. And would you notice symptoms-wise are getting tired, for example, if the ferritin levels were increasing? Uh, well, my, my wife notices it more than I do. <laughs> I'm probably asleep and I don't, don't notice myself asleep. Um, but my sister definitely does know when she needs... Uh, uh, to get a beta section done or get a few points taken off or uh, the tiredness kicks in. like. And of course, the, the, the tricky thing about the tiredness, uh, if you go into a doctor and you say, oh, I'm feeling tired, uh, or if you go into a chemist, they might put you on iron for people who are the undiagnosed. And that's probably the worst thing you can do for somebody with hemochromatosis. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like the, the interesting thing about uh, hemochromatosis in, in, in the early stages, there's actually no evident signs that you have hemochromatosis. And it takes many years then for a significant iron, iron overload to take place within your body. And then it takes even more time for organ and tissue damage to become evident for doctors to see. And even in, in very advanced cases, 
patients don't display um, clear and telltale symptoms. So it's a, it's a it's a very difficult one for the medical profession, but uh, it's I think it's important for your listeners and for all medical people to, to realise it's so prevalent in Ireland. If you look at a map of the world, and there's grey areas around England and Scotland, and America is probably less grey, but Ireland is a black hole. It's I think it emanated. It came it came out of Ireland originally, as you said, it's the Celtic disorder. Yeah, and I think it probably has to do with because of our population base, we intermarried as well. I think that's got a lot to do with it, and we married in our area. So if you had clusters of people who had who were carrying the faulty gene, more than likely the farm next door to you had a cluster of people with the faulty gene. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That, that, I think that's the way it works. And it's, within the travelling community, there's a high level of hemochromatosis as well. Yes, sir. And, okay. And there would be, yeah. That's, that's why I know medics know that quite well, like, you know. How, um, someone wants to know how, how are you tested for it? Uh, how, how are you tested? Well, well, I think most of us from time to time, especially when we get over our 40s, we probably get our bloods done maybe, uh, maybe once a year or once every couple of years. So... I, I would be saying to my GP, listen, uh, especially if there's a significant chromatosis in your family, I would be saying to my GP, listen, would you ch- check my ferritin levels? See, are they okay? And take it from there. If, if your ferritin levels are high, um, they'd probably do more. They'll do a genetic test, and that's that would prove once and for all whether you have hemochromatosis or not. Yeah, uh, Seamus said, I'm interested in your topic uh, this morning, similar to what your caller, that's Jim Jackman, uh, is talking about. It was one of my sisters was diagnosed with hemochromatosis. There's seven in family. We all duly headed off uh, to get tested. Out of the seven, three had hemochromatosis, three were carriers of the faulty uh, gene. And and Seamus says, I was the only one who didn't have anything. You did, you did well out. You did well out out of that out of that one uh, for sure. And of course, people now who have hemochromatosis can donate blood. At one stage, they weren't able to donate blood. Were you aware of that? Oh my God, I was. Because in my lifetime, I was a blood donor. I'd given over one hundred and seventy pints of blood. So in a way, I was self medicating. I was, but what was quite frustrating for me, and this has changed. Uh, five years ago, the blood bank wouldn't take your blood, but now they are taking your blood. It's good blood, and it's it's probably better blood, maybe for some people who may, may be anemic or whatever. Yeah, it's. So, I could but, never understand why that, because I know in the UK uh, where they have hemochromatosis as well, they willingly take the blood and say yeah, it's great blood to get. So I was glad to see <laughs> the blood donor clinic here in Ireland uh, reversing uh, that one. And you you have some personalities who <coughs> known personalities who have hemochromatosis. Yeah, there's quite quite a lot of people out there that would be fantastic if more personalities with the condition came out and said, listen, I'm hemochromatosis. It's not contagious. But they like to say, say David Beggy, the meat footballer, Paul Harrington, uh, the Eurovision, man who won the Eurovision for Ireland, Morris Manning, the, chair, uh, the chairperson of the University of Ireland, Danny Morrison, Creevy No Quailon of Sinn Féin, Tom Dooley, the food critic from Cork, Nilo Toole, the Olympic roar. Ellen Keane, uh, the Paralympian gold medalist. Ray Trace, for Ray Trace, who played for Ireland, had it as well. And I'd, I'd like to make special men- mention of Councillor Damien Boylan, who's Deputy Lord Mayor of Cork, yeah. who has hemochromatosis. Yeah. And is very... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He's very busy creating awareness of hemochromatosis, both locally and nationally. Nationally, So much so that he organized a man called Senator Martin Conway to host an eruptive briefing in the Dáil recently. And he or- he's organised a meeting and a photo shoot tonight down in the Cork City Hall. And he was also telling me that uh, Dr. Matt Murphy, uh, I think he's in the South Infirmary, is absolutely brilliant. He really is a fantastic person to go to if you have the condition. OK, does your diet, is your diet affected in any yeah, way? Yeah. Do, do, do you watch what you eat? No, I, I'm a member of the Hemochromatosis Association and uh, I'm the company line there. You, you 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 should watch what you eat. You should try and not eat too much steak or foods with a lot of uh, that sort of meaty meaty products. And you should also be very uh, careful with your drinking, like you know. So. I, I wish I was a bit more careful that way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be. I'm not going to tell lies. That's the radio. I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad that you're very honest about it, Jim. <laughs> and and um, the question then: and how often do you get your bloods checked? Well, I um, personally, I get them done about every four or five months. That's okay. also related to my arthritis. Okay, and how is the arthritis at the moment? Uh, it's, it's okay. It's, it's, I, I play a lot of traditional music and my left elbow is quite sore. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do uh. find a, a point or two helps me on uh, that it does it. Lo- loosen, loosen up the elbow if nothing else. And the, yeah. wa- the warm weather, you often hear people with arthritis when the weather turns. They like the warm weather. Does that help? Oh yeah, I, I just love the sun. I, I you know, I, I just bask in the sun. It, you do feel better. I think everybody feels better with, with the sun. It, re- it reminds me of my youth uh, down in Gardeen and Lismire. Uh, bringing in hay, the heat. I just love the heat. reminds me. It reminds me of my holidays and my. And my it, youth. and the reason you were in, your, your mother was your mother, um, Lord Timurchin, was from Lismire. My mother, my mother was from Lismire, and I uh, have lots of cousins in Mallow. The Murphys in Mallow. I think they have phobes and stuff like that. Oh all, yeah, all, yeah. All, all around Mallow and all around Borderbuy and all around Newmarket and Kentork and, and Fremont. There's there's lots of our genes down there. Yeah, that's good uh, to hollow country. I can see where the music comes from, from sure, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Listen, Jim, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. You know, listen, uh, it's very good. Listen, can, can I just say one or two quick things? Yeah, you can. First of all, I'd like to thank yourself and 103 for helping promote awareness. The, the minute we were on to you, you, you put us out there, and that's fantastic. I'd, li- I'd like to say to people out there, uh, your listeners, who have hemochromatosis, Please tell people that you have hemochromatosis. Create awareness and uh, uh, just let people know you have it because that's the way more people get to know about it. And also, people in, say in the court in Cork who are in the public arena uh, and people are not allowed to have hemochromatosis. Please tell people. And uh, finally, uh, if anybody has any questions, um, to talk to the Irish Hemochromatosis Association. They're extremely, extremely friendly. And our, our executive director, uh, very informed from Cork, would, more, would be delighted to help you. It's a very, it's a, 
There's loads of information out there and also Google. Google. Um, yeah, be informed. Be informed. That's the key. And it's nothing be, to be scared of. Just get the diagnosis. Once you've got the diagnosis and you've got your head around that you have this condition, you know, people go on and live very normal, healthy, active lives. Oh, absolutely. But awareness is key. Yeah. Finding it out earlier is the better. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really proud of my hemochromatosis. Well I, sort of say, <laughs> well I, I love it now. My poor old daughter, when she discovered she had it, she says to me, oh, Dad, you're delighted now, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you have to get your head around then how to even, besides that, how to pronounce it, how to spell it is, the, spell is the other it, yeah. big one. Listen, yeah. Jim, a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, continue good health to you. And thank you for sharing your story with us this morning. And thank you, Thank you, Patricia. Okay. Good morning to you. Bye bye, bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Jim Jackman, uh, ahead of World Hemochromatosis Awareness Week, which kicks in uh, later on this week. Earlier this year, we heard from a very frustrated mother who had contacted us about her son, whose dream in life was to become a car mechanic. Now, he'd secured work experience at a local garage. They were so impressed with him that they offered him a full-time apprenticeship. But everything went pear-shaped when the young lad failed a colour blindness test and he was told that was the end of his dream job. Our career guidance expert took up the case and Roisin Kelleher joins me to tell us how she got on. Good morning to you, Roisin. Morning, Patricia. Uh, You're very welcome. Now, you were aware of the colour blindness and all of that, but what did you since discover? I, well, it, it has taken a while. Other than that, I would have been back to you sooner about it. And uh, I can now confirm that there is an appeal process, which is absolutely wonderful. Now, we've got to be careful about what we're talking about. There isn't an appeal for everything. There are quite a number of apprenticeships, uh, over 83 now, Patricia, would you believe? Of those, there's 13 that do require a colour test. And if a person would have gone for that test, like the young person you spoke about, and unfortunately didn't get through the test, well, then that could mean that they would not be, they wouldn't be, uh, you know, qualified to go into that. They wouldn't meet the entry requirement to fulfil the apprenticeship. However, there is an appeal process. And so when this happens, the young person involved should go to the local ETB. Obviously, they would know that because they've done the test. And then they would say, well, sorry, you haven't passed this test. So at that point, it should have been picked up. And the persons who were involved with the test at that point should have alerted that young person to the appeal. I don't understand why. It's very unfortunate that Mm. it didn't happen. But that is what should have happened. And what happens with the appeal? Where does that go? An appeal process then is they will fill out an application form, which the ETB has. And that person then goes forward to have a second test, a second vision test in Dublin. There's just one person appointed to do that. They do have to pay a fee for it. Again, I understand it's not a huge amount. I know every piece of money is important to people, but I, I understand it's in the region of about 50, less than 100 euro, we'll say, for the test. But nevertheless, it does mean going to Dublin, travelling to Dublin. Is it a more in-depth test? For a more in-depth test. Oh, okay. And then they will decide. Now, as I say about these different apprenticeships, it depends on the apprenticeship. So for some apprenticeships associated with being an electrician or air or we'll say anything to do with marine going to sea, there is no appeal process for that. That's it. But I think the, the, the particular person in question earlier this year was a mechanic. Yeah, it was a car mechanic. Is, yes, a motor mechanic. And there is an appeal process 
that is viable for that particular course. So there would be, a, now again, it would depend on the level of severity mm. with regard to the colour vision. But, but I, also, I also think the big frustration from the mum and this young lad's point of view was if he was across the border in Northern Ireland or if he was anywhere in the UK, you can get glasses that allow the colour blindness to be rectified. But we don't operate that system here. No, That's no. really unfortunate. Very unfortunate. I, and I and I know that. actually that, that the Cork City Councillor Ted Tynan is actually raising the issue with the Enterprise Trade and Employment Minister, who of course is one of our own, uh, Simon Coveney, to see would they not allow these uh, corrective glasses to be used in the workplace. So we'll, we'll yes, follow that one. Yes, at the moment that is not allowed. You're quite correct with regard to that. Having said that, the ETB and, you know, Solace will say that they're constantly looking at the issue and they will update us. OK, OK. Because there will, be, there will be future children as well. OK. And talking... It should have, it, 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 it no should have been picked up. Yeah. For the apprenticeship. They sh- it should have been alerted even in school that there would have been a colour test so at that point, it should have been alerted first. And all I can say is that the local ETB, wherever it would be here in Cork, it would be the training centre in Bishopstown, they would look after it, give the application form, has to be filled out, and then make the contact with the doctor in Dublin, and it follows through from there. OK. OK, all right. And we are a little over a week away from the start of the Leaving Cert. And I know you've joined us just to offer some guidelines ahead of the uh, state uh, exam. And, and, you know, the first one is... A positive and realistic approach is so oh, yes. important. Of course, of course. The stu- some students, many of them, are actually very anxious. They've always been anxious before an exam. But I think the effects of the pandemic is still <clears throat> there for very many people. And in that regard, they have made accommodations, I suppose, in the Department of Education with the exams, the exam questions. And I also understand that they're going to give that adjustment as well this year which I don't know how that will work out because, of course, in my opinion, it has contributed to the inflation of the points. I know, they have to, at some stage, stop doing that, don't they, mm, to make the yes. points come back to normal. All right, but they're saying for this year... Exactly, uh, and they're saying for all this, it will also impact for the students for 2024, at least what the Minister has said. So I don't know when it will eventually come back to what we knew in the 2019. But nevertheless, having a positive and realistic approach is so important uh, for young people and just believe in themselves and keep, you know, this confidence up. I would say very many of the students now, particularly the exam students, the leaving cert students, have probably finished in school because some schools have left them their goal last week. Some of them a little bit earlier. So it's very important that they keep to the routine of a timetable and plan very carefully, be absolutely familiar with the timetable of the exams and plan out the revision carefully Go through the past papers, watch the timing for your exam, never leave the exam hall before time. Just stay in there, try and do something, put down the heading, do anything. Give a little bit of space at the end of your exam paper so that you can add in the more points and read through it all again before handing up. And just stay as calm as possible. I know it might seem it's easy to say this, but they have to be actively involved when they get that paper to read it as calmly as possible over it, then back so carefully the second time over it and selecting the questions, making sure that they uh, attend to the questions that are the compulsory questions, turning over the page. Everything associated with that paper has to be looked after so carefully and not taking any notice of other people 
just concentrating. Yeah, focus on, on focus on your paper. Yes. what you're going to be writing and forget about everybody else uh, in the room. And the night before the exam, again, trying to keep everything as calm as possible. Absolutely. And, and this is where the, pa- the parents have a role as well. They do to, to make everybody aware that, yes, it is a stressful time. There's an awful lot of situations dealing with these exams, the outcome of the exams, the future that a person will be planning. So, of course, there is stress associated with that. So the parents have to bear, they're play, playing a hugely cooperative role, keeping it to a routine as much as possible and keeping, you know, things as calm as and anything other young people in the house to make them understand, to give that extra little bit of understanding at this time. And being mindful of what they eat and encourage and balance the diet, the water is so important to drink the water, physical exercise, walk around outside if they get all stressed up, just go out in the air. Breathe. The breathing exercises are so important. And just drink the water, calm down, and come back calmly to the situation again. And just reminding them that irrespective of the exam results, they have unconditional love and that they are the important persons in here. And let them know that they want them to do their best but they do not have to be the best, which is very important. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is a good word of advice. And as you say, trying to keep everything calm so that on exam day, when the student gets up, everything is ready. They're not rushing around looking for the pens or whatever they need. Be familiar with the timetable and for the parents also to be familiar with the timetable so they know where they need to be, what time it is, give enough time. There's an awful lot of road work. The roads are very busy. So just give extra time to get to the exam centre. There's nothing worse than to be rushed at a very critical time like that. The results, we have have been told, will be due out sometime towards the end of August, the 25th of August, they've given us the date, and the first round offers will be on the 30th of August. That will be for the CAO. But there's much more options than just CAO, even though, of course, the CAO uh, courses, that would be the level eight honours degree programmes, the four years, three or four years in duration, some of them leading directly into jobs, which is great, Many of them would need postgrad training education to follow up. The level sevens on the ordinary degrees that take three years. And again, they can progress to level eight if a person wishes. On the level six, which is the certificate. So that's all the blocks associated with the CAO. All, of course, dependent on entry requirements, which includes entry requirements for specific courses and colleges and points. But then we've got the post leaving cert courses. And there's great options with the post leaving cert courses where the students can, and they apply for those directly. Mm. So even though these may be on a link, would be on the CAO website now to most things, but they don't apply to the CAO. You apply directly for the post leaving cert courses to the ETB colleges. That's what they're called now. And that would be an online direct application. And what's involved in that is, is an interview. So there aren't any points involved for post leaving cert courses, which is very important to make people realise that. So it's an interview. So it'll be generally one year. Some of them are two years. And they can progress also to the higher education if a person wishes. And of course, as we spoke about earlier, apprenticeships. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and there's a big push to try to get young people to sign up to do all of the various apprenticeships. And there's great, there's great job, great job opportunity. Great opportunity. Earn as you learn. However, you must realise, they must realise that they must have a sponsor. That is someone that will train them in conjunction with Solace 
and the ETB for the training of that particular apprenticeship. So they must obtain a sponsor. Now, if some young people find it difficult to get a sponsor, and some people do, then there are pre-apprenticeship courses that they can attend. And they would be in Cork and at one of the ETB colleges. And this is a wonderful way of going on to one of those courses and then getting a sponsor, we say, by the following year. Okay. And as we said earlier, we're now aware that the colour vision test so check. and the P is there as well. Yeah, check. check. And then some um, young people opt to go overseas for study. It may, yes. It may be not as popular because of the cost. And can I say just briefly, with our own cost here in this country, if they're moving away from home, and many of them are, to check the accommodation. The accommodation is a huge issue. And for many people, it, it depends on whether they will actually do a particular course in a particular location because of the cost involved. Well, I, so I can I can interrupt you there. I have a friend of mine who is training to be, her daughter trained to be a vet in uh, Poland and she had done her first year in veterinary, she didn't get into veterinary college here in Ireland, but she'd got in doing veterinary nursing and it was actually the college says, you were way too good, you really need to qualify as a vet, but she didn't get the yep. points for here. Went to Poland. It's actually cheaper for her yep. daughter to live in Poland than it was to live in Dublin. Well, that's exactly it. And for many people, that is a decision that they make. Yeah. Now, of course, going abroad to Poland or to any of these other countries does take adjusting as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not for everybody. And, and, and the UK, there's a number of uh, students will go to the UK. UCAS as well. And it's very important also to be aware of our two great colleges in Ireland, in the north of Ireland, Queen's University of Belfast and UU University of Ulster. So staying on the island of Ireland is also a possibility. That again would be under the UCAS. So these also can be uh, also considered and applied for. So there's a range of options. And for some people, they might decide to take the year out and perhaps try and get for a job or try and save to go to college the, the following year, year or whatever it is. That All right. Okay, we, we will speak again closer to the time. In the meantime, it is good luck and best wishes to all of the students who are preparing for leading and cert and junior that. cert. The best of luck to the students and to the parents and everybody concerned and of course the junior cert students as well. Next week, yeah. And just to refer that there is a deferred leading cert for those who may be unfortunate enough that something could happen that would prevent them from being fitting at the regular time for the leading cert. Bereavement are becoming well. All right, Roisin, pleasure as always. Thank you for that and we'll speak again. We'll speak again during the summer months. That is uh, Roisin Kelleher, our career guidance. A couple of texts and comments in to do with Roisin Kelleher and the start next week of the Leaving Cert and Junior Cert. One texter said, as I always said to myself on exam day, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, there's, always, there is, there's nobody goes into an exam without some type of fear uh, for sure. And actually, Joe Heffernan uh, tomorrow will be offering advice to the students because many of them are already at home. Many of them have signed off from school and they're at home doing study. And uh, Joe is also particularly good at giving advice to the, the mammies and the daddies who need to keep the household as calm as possible. Someone says this, they, many of this year's Leaving Cert students haven't sat a junior cert. The, it's the experience of a state exam is vital for timing etc so the best of luck to all of the students yeah because the 2019 was the last junior cert so any of the students that would have gone on into transition year I know there was some of them last year as well hadn't set the junior cert those who didn't do transition year and went straight into fifth year and then on into leaving cert but yeah there's a large cohort of students this will be their first state exam which will add as well to the that kind of anxiety and that fear factor but and and timing it and you know the fact that they won't have done it before yeah you're very 
right with that. Thank you for that. And then Gemma in Bandon said, listening to Roisin about going to uh, college, my son was actually in the same situation as, as was highlighted during your chat with Gemma. He wanted to do a certain engineering course and he got the points and got accepted into DCU in Dublin. However, the accommodation costs were working out at €700 Euro a month and then obviously he had to his living costs on top of that and travelling to and from Dublin. It just simply proved too much for us financially as a family. In the end, he looked at universities outside of Ireland and he found, he found a university outside of London. London. And it worked out cheaper than sending him to Dublin. So it's also more convenient as he can get flights home from Cork Airport to London and if you book well in advance and you know when there's holidays and you know when there's things on so you can book those flights well in advance so it works out cheaper but isn't it madness to think that people have to go abroad to colleges in the UK and further afield and we can't afford to send them to a college in Dublin I'm really surprised to hear outside of London as I say my friend who's got her daughter over in Poland cost of living is much cheaper over there and the cost of accommodation is much cheaper over there but I would have thought a college outside of London would have been as expensive if not more expensive than Dublin. But Gemma and Bandon says no. 0818103103. Listening, I'm looking, for, looking for your thoughts and comments, by the way, on what happened at the Cork City football match, which was on last Saturday night, uh, wasn't it? And this is where a number of, I'm going to say, so-called Cork football supporters chanted absolutely vile songs about the cancer battle that the opposition manager's son, young boy who's got leukaemia, uh, now it seems, and they were singing the most vile songs seemingly about this uh, little boy. And I'm reading from Ralph Regal in The Independent today that a number of those fans have now been identified, which is fantastic to hear. Cork City says it'll take what they're saying appropriate action against the fans who've been identified as being involved in sick chants about little nine-year-old Josh Bradley. Now Josh Bradley is the son of Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley. Cork are now considering the imposition of lifetime bans from their Turners Cross grounds on the fans uh, involved. Uh, little Josh underwent treatment for leukaemia last year and his dad Stephen Bradley admitted he was shocked by the vile chants directed at the team as they left the Cork grounds on uh, it was on Friday night. He said, it is disgusting. He said, I'm going to put a report into the police. Um, singing about my son really is disgusting. He said, you can take stick. He says, as a football person that comes with the role and you expect that, that's your job and that's fine. But he said, speaking about a little six, nine-year-old who is battling leukaemia is simply disgusting. And Cork City should be ashamed of those fans. He says, I want those that, those fans that were involved banned for life. He said, there's no place in football or society for those kind of comments and chants. He said, it is disgusting behaviour. And when little brave Josh's leukaemia battle was revealed last year, actually at the time, a number of League of Ireland fans and supporters associations actually organised fundraisers for various cancer uh, charities. Now, Cork City 
Officials say they're also sickened by the nature of the chance. The club have launched an investigation and after the game they went on to offer an apology to Mr Bradley and his family. The club, they say, will work with all of the relevant authorities to identify those involved and to take the appropriate action against those involved. And they said on behalf of the club they apologised to uh, Stephen Bradley for the actions of these individuals. And then the Corner Flag pub, whose premises is, is located next to the Cork City grounds, they say its bar and security staff have actually identified some of those involved and they're now liaising with Cork City Football Club and the Gardaí. CCTV footage is also set to play a central role in the investigation. And it's understood there was four ringleaders. So four ringleaders have been identified and officials are now working to confirm their names. And the owner of Cork City FC, that's Dermot Usher, he said he was appalled by what had happened. He said, I was too annoyed to comment on Friday night. He said, these people are not, absolutely not Cork City fans. He says... This is not a true reflection of what Cork City FC and the people are. He said lifetime bans will be handed out to anyone connected with this. Now Cork went on to uh, win the match 1-0, although uh, they have to play, they, they ended up having to play with only eight uh, men for the last 25 minutes. They, they actually had three uh, players sent off during the course of, of, of that match. But what kind of, what kind of sick mentality would start poking fun and singing vile songs about a little nine-year-old boy battling leukaemia. Just absolutely sick. 0818 103 103 our lines are open some commentary coming in on the fuel prices which we mentioned uh, earlier because one of our listeners was saying Patricia don't forget to highlight the petrol and diesel we know we don't have to see if it's going up or down on the world market the excise duties are starting to be reintroduced from this Thursday 6 cent on petrol and 5 cent on diesel and there'll be another there'll be two more uh, increases to get it back to the 20 cent that was taken off petrol and the 15 cents that was taken off diesel. John Infomoy says my fuel allowance every week uh, when when fuel allowance season is in is 33 euro a week. Yes, when I pick that up a bag of coal has gone to over between 45 and 50 euro a bag. So my fuel allowance, my weekly fuel allowance doesn't even cover one bag of uh, coal. Someone else says hi Patricia, the putting back the excise duty on diesel is madness. Do you know what's going to happen? It's going to drive up haulage costs for businesses. It'll once again put it through the roof. What happens then? It gets passed on to the consumer, says Donald. So we will all end up paying more, not just at the petrol pumps, but for everything that's going to be delivered. And Martin in Fomoy says, Morning Patricia, I'm at a loss as to how the government can put more trouble and worry on people by even considering putting back up the price of fuel again. Does the government think that we all have lots of money? It's time now for us, the Irish, to stand up to this government and say no more price hikes. Enough is enough. Actually, Patricia, we could do without a government like the one we have at the moment. It's never ending with all the bad news for us, the good people of this country. What are they doing with all the money that they say they have? 
Why do they want more? Social welfare is supposed to get a rise in October, but the government will have taken it off us already by putting up the fuel prices. And petrol will go up again in September and then it's due to go up again in uh, January. When will the Irish people say stop and enough is uh, enough? Uh, Martin says what we need in this country is an all out strike and he's questioning do we even need a government at this stage? This is Martin's theory. He said they couldn't manage a donkey derby, says Martin, who really isn't happy about petrol and diesel going up and it goes up from this Thursday. Not to say that it will go up directly in all garages because some of them were hoping have stockpiled and already bought their petrol and uh, diesel. So there might be a slower lead in because they've had great warning that this is coming in. Unlike the last time when it got introduced, when the reduction got introduced, it just came in overnight. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp 086 2103103 with a reminder to you that we are looking for your nutritional questions because Annalise Dressel will join us in uh, in this, the final hour of the programme. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie St. Coleman's National School in Cloyne. They're celebrating 50 years and that's happening on the 2nd of June. There will be a commemorative walk on the day from the old boys and girls school sites in the village to the new school. The original builders are even coming back to celebrate the occasion. Past pupils, teachers and past and present community members all invited to attend. The walk will start at 9.30 on the 2nd and teas and coffees will be served afterwards. There will be a coffee morning in Ballantotis Community Hall this Friday from 10am to 12 noon. It's in aid of little four-year-old Ava Quinn who's undergoing treatment in Crumlin Children's Hospital. It's for a rare type of brain tumour. Mallow Grow Community Mental Health they're holding their annual street collection throughout Mallow on Friday. Your support will be very much appreciated and you can get further information at www.grow.ie. And the National Food Waste Recycling Week that runs from the 5th to the 11th of June. Um, and on the 6th of June, there will be talk entitled Reduce Your Food Waste. It's in Mallow Library from half 10 to 12 noon. They'll be in Fomoy Library. Um, at half two and there will be a talk entitled Growing Food from Seed. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And somebody wants to know, Patricia, could you find out what time is the Forge restaurant in Charleville opening? It's due to open uh, on a Saturday. It's been closed, I think, since, was it since COVID uh, times? It's actually already opened. They officially opened last last Wednesday the uh, 24th they don't open on a Saturday uh, they're open Monday to Friday from 8.30 to 4pm that's the Forge which is uh, obviously part of St Joseph's Foundation and they're open for breakfast lunch, dinner if you want to pop in to have a tea or a coffee and it is wonderful, wonderful uh, coffee shop and cafe with all uh, proceeds raised going to St Joseph's uh, Foundation so they're open on Monday to Friday 8.30 to 4pm but they don't open don't think they ever opened on uh, Saturday Oh. 1-8-103-103. I mentioned what happened at the Cork City football match last uh, Friday. Somebody says, Patricia, banning these people 
should not even be a consideration. It's surely a clear requirement. Vile, sick people who should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. Eileen is out on Bear Island and I think from her text is probably feeling something similar. Good afternoon to you, Eileen. Hi, Patricia. You wouldn't even call these people fans, of course. Well, you see, that's what I object to really more than anything. I'm a sports fan, football fan, uh, you know, I really am. And I object to these people being called fans. Even today in the papers and that, they're called Cop City fans. They're not fans. You know, fans are genuine people who follow their whatever sport it is. But I'm afraid sport, especially football, is being taken over now by these individuals. It's like a, I don't know what you call it, like an engineered epidemic that's been sneezed all over the world of football, especially more than other sports, I think. Yeah, Um, soccer, yes, yeah, soccer fans, yeah. 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 And and NGA as well. You have um, homophobic chants, you have racist chants, you see it in hurling and football. Um, you know, and, and despite all the pleas and all the campaigns and all the taking the knee and hands across the water and, you know, laying flowers and doing all these things, it just, it's not going away. And it, to me, it's getting worse instead of getting better. And I don't, I actually don't know what the solution is, Patricia. I really don't because... But to target, you, to target yeah, to a tar- nine-year-old boy battling but leukemia. That's what they do, you see, that's what they do. They target, uh, you know, like I said, you know, homophobia, racism. They target people, vulnerable people. Pretty sick. They do. It is sick, but it's, you see, these people, I mean, uh, I've been to so many sporting venues all my life, you know, I'm sure you've been to different yeah, uh, sporting yeah. venues as well. You leave your house, right, with your scarf and whatever, and you go to support your team. But these people leave their homes and they go there with with this in mind that that's what they're going to do. Nothing to do with sport, you know. Nothing to do with following any team. They they go there with this. This is what's in the. This is what they're going to do. So I don't know. I just don't know how you stop it. I really don't. You don't. You, having, we, you don't get it at rugby matches. No, not so much. No, you do get chanting, I suppose. You were chanting in all sport, and and some yeah. really good banter, you know. But I don't. Yeah, I don't it, think I've ever heard of anything that vile. No, not Or even, or even, even at a GAA match, it's just, it's sick. It's it absolutely. Is, it, it is sick. And what sick. I object to is these people being called fans. Yeah, yeah, that's a good you point. Know, that's a good point. I, I think, and you and, know, and you I can't think, call them fans. No, they're not. Well, I think the owner of uh, Dermot Usher, the owner of uh, Cork City, I mean, he he was so cross, he couldn't even comment on uh, Friday night. And he said, they, you know, this is not a true reflection of uh, Cork City. And he said, these people are not Cork City fans. He, you know, he said well, they're, they're not. not they're but, not. It's not a, but it's not a true reflection of sport anyway. But it then to be. hear them say they are considering a lifetime ban, somebody said that that shouldn't even be a consideration. Of course it shouldn't be a consideration. These people shouldn't be allowed I- into any sporting venue. But then you see, they they're, they're, they pay their whatever and they go in there and you don't know. You can't bet people on the way in. You can't say, are you going to chant today? You know what I mean? You can't do that. Mm. So they're in there and they... they you know, so I don't. I don't know how it. It just seems to be getting. To me, it seems to be getting worse instead of better. And they've identified four ringleaders, and of course, that's what's yeah. happened. It's like a pack yeah. mentality. You'll have. It is a pack mentality. You'll have four starting people. it, and then the people around, if they're of that yeah. predisposition. And isn't it? Isn't 
is such a bad example to young people coming up who are interested in playing sport. And and isn't that such an awful example to them? Shocking. Absolutely you know, shocking. Just, Absolutely I, shocking. It defies belief. It really does. And like I said, it, it seems to be now this engineered epidemic that's being spread everywhere. And it seems to be the norm now at every match you go to. Especially soccer matches. I don't mm. know what it is about John in Cove says if they can find out exactly who they are, their names and addresses should be published in the Well, I, I agree with that. I, I think they should be named and shamed. I really do because maybe that would help, you mm. know. I know the, and I know the Gardaí are involved as well and they have good CCTV and it, they, it seems to be it's very clear who these people were so it is easy to um, identify them. That's true. That's true, I suppose. Yeah, but you're you're on beautiful Bear Island. I am with, with good like, weather. What's it like? It's, like? it's like our own little slice of heaven, Patricia. It really is. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's it going is. to be hotter than the Costa Brava this week. Yeah, but we have a nice little breeze here, which makes a difference because we're on the coast. You see, yeah. we're by the sea. We have a nice, um, we have a nice little breeze here. So yeah. But and before I leave you, could I just say a quick thank you? And just a quick mention to all the staff and the nurses and doctors in the breast care unit in CUH okay. and in the Dunmanway Day unit and in the Glendore Centre because these people, I don't think they get enough credit for what they do. And all the individuals there who are so kind, so caring and so understanding, I must say, they're, they're, you know, they're out on their own on the care they give. And I'd just like to say to anyone who is maybe being diagnosed with breast cancer or is fearing, you know, the diagnosis, you know, the diagnosis, you know, when you go in there, you know, they're so, they're so wonderful that they make you feel so well. I don't know, it just, it just, you know. I can't explain it. Do you know, I, I've heard that so much. You know, we all give out about the health service and people on yeah, waiting lists. Yeah. And, and, and rightly so, because it, it, is, it yes, is a disgrace. It, it, and, you know, when I was in Bantry on, on Saturday, I was only talking about, you know, those 25 in the main elderly people who, who needed hip and knee replacements having to go on a bus to Belfast. And it just broke yeah. my heart to think of them in pain sitting on a bus for that length of time. But they're, they're so desperate to get the care that they needed. But the one thing I will say about our, our health service and I hear it time and time again if you do get that cancer diagnosis once you are in the system and being treated everybody speaks about the care uh, it's incredible and you know the genuine feeling they have and the way you know they take you into this room you know and it's just and they sit you down and they talk to you like you were the only person in the world (sighs) you know they make you feel like you're the only one that they're there for you and they have hundreds of people, you know, to see to. But you get this feeling, you know, that they're there for you. Okay, you didn't use the, you didn't use the services of Cancer Connect, did you? No, I didn't. No, that was no, that. That's another. But that's another. Yeah, but, but that's, that's another, another brilliant service. Well. Yeah, it is. yeah. It is. And I don't think they get enough credit, no, you know, in the no. Grand Door Centre from the lady, you know, in the cafe, you know, the nurses, you know, all those. They they they're so caring. That girl that runs the cafe there in the in the Glendor Centre. I mean, she's such a caring young woman. She really is. She's out on her own. Yeah.
Okay, well, well done, so, and, and you've put it out there. So, well said. Well said. Yeah. Okay, right, look Patricia. after yourself. Always you a pleasure too. to speak to you. you. God too. bless. Well, okay, God bless. She's, all, she's a great woman. That's our Eileen out on uh, Bear Island, and she's always so, so positive. We, uh, we wish her continued good health. Patricia, as a mum to boys, every time that I hear about the horrendous chanting about that young boy, Josh Bradley, my eyes actually fill with tears. Battling cancer is such an awful fight back to health for anyone but for a child to have to face into that battle is a terrible childhood ordeal. I know some of the people who attended the Cork City match to support their team with all their heart and soul. The vast majority of Cork City supporters are great great people who love soccer and they just simply want to go to the match to cheer on their team. What happened last week does not represent them and was certainly not done in their name. Please God, that little boy Josh will recover fully and very soon and I'm praying hard for him now every day that this young child who deserves to return to his normal life as soon as possible. There but for the grace of God go any of us and even worse any of our children. Get well soon uh, Joshua. That's not that's a lovely text. Thank you. Um, I don't know who that was. There's no name on that but thank you. That is uh, you've you've nailed it there and I, and I think any mother father who's got a child it's just got to be your worst nightmare for a child to be diagnosed with any type of uh, cancer but childhood uh, leukemia and then to have these absolute scuts deciding it would be nice to make up songs wishing all horrible nasty things on that little boy it really is uh, shocking Hi Patricia just because it was Cork City was playing that doesn't mean they were Cork City fans they could have been fans from any other team I'm wondering why not a jail sentence uh, for them yeah, uh, other people would agree with you on that and say they should be locked away uh, for good. And uh, someone says, well done, uh, Trish, for giving the time to Eileen there at the end of her interview for thanking the cancer groups in Cork, in West Cork. Uh, we have some wonderful, wonderful uh, services. We do indeed. 0818 103 103. Get your questions in for Annelise Drissel, please. You can call John Paul or you can text her WhatsApp in a nutritional question to 086 to 103 103. Uh, a lot of texts and comments coming in and my apologies if I don't get to all of them but I want to give a shout out to this one because it came in on WhatsApp earlier. Uh, this is one from Mary and, and I, I don't think I've heard of this before but Mary said, Hi Patricia, I was at a family funeral over the weekend and in advance of the family funeral I was asked by another family member to make sure that I wore black. Mary said that she was a bit taken back and shocked that she obviously got the phone calls to say, are you going to the funeral? And Mary said, of course I am as a family member. And they said, make sure you're wearing black. And Mary wants to know, is there a law to say you must wear black? Well, no, there's, there's no law to say you must wear black. But I'm wondering why a family, and I'm assuming it was the immediate family made the decision that they wanted all of the family and all of the extended family, was it, to wear black? Has anybody else heard that? To actually get a phone call in advance of attending a family funeral to say to you that you you asking you to wear black. Now, they couldn't force you, Mary. You could have turned up in shocking pink. Not that you would have. but And you do hear of some funerals, particularly if it's a funeral of a young person who was very bright and vivacious. You'll hear of families saying they want to celebrate a life and they'll ask people uh, to wear a bright uh, colour. 
But I, I, hand on heart, I've never been asked myself to wear black and I don't think I've ever heard of. It's the first time I've had a comment in whereby somebody got a phone call to say, if you're going to the funeral on Saturday, can we ask you to wear black? Has that happened to anyone else? Let us know, uh, please. 0818 103 103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we're heading to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic for our weekly chat with Annalise Drussell. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome and enjoying the wonderful sunshine. It's fantastic, isn't it? And we have a week of it, I think, to come. Yeah, yeah. And and right into the weekend, actually, a relevant kind of a question with the sunshine. A listener who has been taking vitamin D for the last year has just had her blood checks checked and the doctor told her she's got an overload of vitamin D. With the fine weather in particular, should we all drop our vitamin D that we take? Yeah, that's what I'm recommending uh, people, Patricia. And I'm saying if... Like a lot of people would be very careful about the sun and wear, wear, wear a very high block. So I think in that case, I'd nearly take it every second day. So that way, at least you're not overloading, um, but you're still getting it if your body needs it. But for everybody else, I'm saying if you really want to take it, take it once a week and your body will take as much as it needs at that time. But at least your vitamin D stores in our liver and in too, too high amounts will be toxic now. It will take a long time for people to get there to be toxic, but too much is also not good. So, okay. yeah. All right, but, but get out and try and get a little bit of sunshine uh, while you can, especially while this wonderful wonderful weather that we have. Okay, questions coming in hot and heavy. Uh, could you uh, could you ask Annalise, please, what would you recommend for constipation? Now, this is constipation caused by medication, says uh, Breather. So, yeah, well, that's always a difficult one and there's quite a few medications do it. So, um, I, there's a couple of things I'd recommend. The soluble fibre is generally better than the insoluble fibre. The big difference between the soluble and the insoluble is I always think if you if you can imagine, you know when you peel the strings off celery, mm-hmm. that's insoluble fibre. It's kind of hard, uh, very fibrous stuff that we get from our vegetables. It's quite hard. We don't break it down. So it acts as a food for the good bacteria in our gut and it puts bulk in the stool. But if you're constipated and if that starts getting packed up, it becomes so hard there's no shifting it. So that's where you want the soluble fibre. Soluble fibre goes to kind of like a gel-like like substance in water or in our bodies. So it softens the stool and makes it much easier to pass. Um, and the, the ones that would be high in soluble fibre are things like oat bran, psyllium husk, you can add all of these to your breakfast cereal. So instead of taking linseeds, whole linseeds, great fibre, but they're the soluble fibre and can get stuck if you suffer from constipation. Switch it over to putting a big um, spoon of oat bran on your cereal or psyllium husk. And then aloe vera is another lovely one as well that can help soften the stool, but also great for inflammation, you know, in the gut if there's any inflammation. Aloe vera gel. Magnesium can work nicely as a, a laxative as well and some people find it great and um, take it at, at night time and there's a nice natural laxative product that you can buy that has a lot of these things in it and it's by a company called Allopura and it used to be called before colon complex I think it's just called Allo complex now and that's a blend of rhubarb extract um, magnesium um, and what else is in there um, aloe vera as well so that's a lovely one and then of course your fruits 
specifically high in soluble fibre would be your prunes, kiwis, pears and apples. So make a nice big stew of all of them. Keep it in the fridge and put a big dollop into a yoghurt or onto your breakfast cereal every morning. Okay, well Donna, that tastes nice uh, as well. Uh, hi, could you ask Annalise please, is it bad to be taking turmeric if you suffer from gallstones? Um, no, actually, in fact, one of the, uh, the the advantages of taking turmeric if you've got gallstones is twofold. The first is that turmeric is a nice natural anti-inflammatory, but it's also actually a very bitter herb. And any of the bitter herbs are really good to stimulate bile production in the liver. And bile production is what we need in our gallbladder to flush it. It's only if we've got too much saturated fat in our diet that that fat and cholesterol, and if there's not enough bile, that can start hardening in the gallbladder and create gallstones. So anything that keeps them soft and keeps them flushing through the gallbladder instead of sitting there and hardening is good, and turmeric is fantastic for that. Other things that would be good for gallbladder uh, would be something called choline, which um, helps, again, to make bile. We get it in lecithin. Um, Some people might be familiar with lecithin, taking it for lowering cholesterol, Patricia. It's brilliant for skin as well, and it's great for producing bile. And then all the bitter herbs, so things like uh, dandelion leaves, artichoke is very good as well to support the liver. Milk thistle is another bitter herb. These are all fantastic for bile production and can help decrease um, your chances of developing gallstones. And then there's two things that are very good to soften gallstones if you do have them. One of them is called malic acid, and that can help keep them nice and soft. And I have lots of customers who would have either developed kidney stones or gallstones on a regular basis, and they would have kept coming back. And they take malic acid now and haven't had an incident since. Brilliant. And the other thing is something called quebra pedra. It's a South American herb. And that is also, in English terms, known as stone breaker. So that can also help soften stones so that you can pass them naturally. Okay, Marion West Cork has what she describes as itchy veins in her legs. Is there anything you could recommend to stop the itching? Yeah, so itching there is definitely a sign of inflammation of the uh, vessels that form the veins in the legs. And it would be very typical for people with varicose veins. They might see the varicose veins hardening or coming up. They might get pain in their legs. Some people get restless legs, but itching is definitely another symptom as well. So in that case, what I would be recommending is taking something like horse um, and horse chestnut, which are both brilliant um, natural remedies for the veins and the arteries in the body. They keep them lovely and healthy and flexible. And I would rub on then a good cream. So we get great feedback with the Dr. Claire Vino Tone Cream. And people get immediate relief from that kind of twitching, itching, restless legs if they've got varicose veins. They rub it in in the morning and again in the evening. And it's called Venatone, V-E-N-A-T-O-N-E. Okay, Neve was checking her teeth um, recently and she noticed inside her lower to the, the back of her lower teeth at the bottom of her mouth uh, something that she describes as a soft lump it has a yellow drop in it like it's infected almost she said it looks a little bit like a boil now she is planning on getting it checked out but she's wondering would Annalise have any idea or any solutions um, it could be any one of a number of things Patricia maybe it is a little boil maybe she's damaged it uh, maybe it's a mouth ulcer that's become a little bit infected. Uh, maybe it's a cut that's become infected. Maybe it's a little burn or something that's become infected. Um, if, I mean, if it, if it bursts and heals, it shouldn't be an issue. Uh, but if, if it doesn't heal up, that's when it, there's a problem with it. So I probably would give it a wash out with a bit of salt and water, keep an eye on it. And if it's not, if it's not bursting and, and healing, 
you probably need to get the doctor to have a look at it just in case it is infected. But I don't think it's anything serious. Okay, Joan has, a, I think, quite a common complaint. She is being put on a statin for cholesterol. Is there anything she can take to counteract the side effects? She's getting a lot of muscle pain, a lot of knee uh, pain. Or would you have any other suggestion outside of statins to help to reduce cholesterol? This is quite a common problem, Annalise. Yeah, it is, Patricia. Uh, it's very common. So what the statin drug does is that it blocks the production of cholesterol in the liver. Okay. So it shuts down a pathway, an enzyme that does that conversion for us. So we make cholesterol in our liver from saturated fat. And actually, most of it comes from our liver, not from cholesterol in our diet. So um, that's why eggs are actually fine to eat. If you've got high cholesterol, it's the saturated fat you need to worry about more than anything. But in doing uh, so with that blocking that pathway, it also blocks our body's ability to make something called coenzyme Q10. And this is a vitamin that is integral to the Krebs cycle energy pathway within the cell. So that's what produces all the cellular energy to drive everything that's needed, the metabolism of the cell, detoxification of the cell, the repair and replacement of of, um, non-functioning organelles in the cell. It's all run by that energy little pathway and if you're deficient in coenzyme q10 that pathway isn't going to be running properly so your muscles not going to be getting energy so you're going to cramp and a lot of people would also notice that they get a bit more forgetful um and sometimes i know that as some member of my own family got quite cranky on a statin so it affected the mood as well some people might find that they get very breathless after uh, maybe climbing a stairs so these would all be very common side effects So the first thing to try is, if you do need to take your statin, is take a high dose of coenzyme Q10 and start on a very good quality one of about 100 milligrams. And you will pay a lot of money for it. It'll probably be about 35 quid for a month. But if it works, you can certainly try to maintain the benefit by taking a cheaper, lower dose one going forward. But if it doesn't work, then maybe the statins don't suit you and then maybe you need to look more to natural remedies. So natural remedies would be the extract of red rice yeast, It actually does exactly the same thing as the statin does, Patricia, and I don't know why it doesn't seem to have as many side effects, but maybe it's because it's not synthetic. Maybe it's because it's from a natural source. There's other components in there that counteract the side effect. We don't really know. But I know myself, a lot of my customers who can't take statins take that red rice yeast very effectively. So there's good brands. We have a lovely one here by a a Spanish company called Normacol. It's got some other bits and pieces in there. Um, Maconta do an excellent red rice yeast supplement, which is really good. And that has CoQ10 in it just to counteract any potential side effects. And then the other one that works very well is the Cardio K. So any one of the three of those would be a good natural alternative to bring it down. Okay, hi. Advice, please. I'm looking for help for a post-nasal drip uh, from sinuses. Okay, so post-nasal drip, the first thing I always say to people, is it worse at any time of the year? So is it worse in the summer, is it worse in the winter, or is it the same all year round? If it's the same all year round, it could be tied to something that you're eating, and dairy can be a big culprit for sinus and post-nasal drip, but other food intolerance can cause it as well. Uh, It could be like some people have an intolerance to eggs, some people it's wheat, some people it's pea or barley, oranges, tomatoes. So there's various different ones that can trigger it. It's like it's triggering a kind of an allergic response like uh, hay fever. If you're worse in the winter, it's probably something to do with mold. And if you're worse in the summer, it's probably something to do with pollen. So ideally, you could try and figure out what's the, the main driver and deal with that. But then if you want to take something to get rid of the post-nasal drip, Dr. Claire does a lovely congestion blend 
that is a blend of different herbs that will help dry up that post-nasal drip. Um, some people find the mucotone. She does one with mucotone, which I normally recommend to treat um, a viral illness because it's got the echinacea and immune boosters in there. But some people love that one and it works better for them. So they'd be my two main go-tos. Um, and if you can't get your hands on the Dr. Claire stuff, Dr. Vogel, which you'll find uh, the A. Vogel stuff in every health shop, they would have uh, Ivy Thyme, which is also a good one to dry up mucus. Okay, we'll leave it there. Enjoy the sunshine. We won't talk next week because it's bank holiday. Uh, Because the year is flying by. Uh, We'll talk in two weeks' time. Thanks, thanks, Annalise. Bye-bye. That is Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. And later on this afternoon... Annalise will put all of the advice that she gave us on her website as heard on the radio under that section and that's on the healthhubstore.com and we always get a lot of calls following Annalise's slot or people not if they hadn't taken down the name of a particular product so I know that John Paul when he works on the overnights and the podcast in the afternoon it'll be put up as a separate podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, from. Thank you to everybody who took time out to contact the programme today. Our apologies if we didn't get around to all of your texts and comments but we do read all of them uh, I promise you that when we get off air but that's where I've got to wrap it up for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I can tell you that Nick Richards at some stage during the programme will be playing a Rod Stewart track and that will be your cue to text our WhatsApp and your chance to become a qualifier and get into the grand final which is going to happen on Friday after three. But that's where I leave you uh, for uh, today. Enjoy the sunshine. We are back with you tomorrow morning at at 10 o'clock until then. I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.